Gender has been in the global spotlight recently, and we think it's an important conversation to have. My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. Joining me today are Jacob McInnes and Alexandra Meinzinger. Um, and I guess the place to start is, do we identify, I don't know, how, I guess it's a really difficult conversation to have. It's, it seems at any, at any turn, you know, um, for me personally, I'm worried of, of, I don't know very much about the issue and it's a, it's a scary topic to start talking about from my point of view. Yeah, I mean, well, thank God things like this are happening and that this, the discussion is <clears throat> starting to happen. Um, I mean, I guess it kind of all started um, more so with um, talking about transgender rights and transgender people. And I think from that, you have awesome things like the National Geographic like gender issue that is now kind of open up. Um, opened up uh, a lot of people's eyes to this kind of new exciting idea about gender not being um, a black and white thing and being more so of uh, like we see in the sexuality um, scale kind of uh, on a spectrum rather than just uh, this or that. So it's yeah. kind of exciting. Definitely. And yeah. for me it really came into like you know an amplified spotlight around the pronoun debate that like I started to hear about and these uh, gendered pronouns and transgender pronouns. And to me it was a quite interesting thing because I was hearing people argue contrary to the merits of certain laws and being labeled as completely transphobic. And to me, like I can't really put myself in the shoes of someone who's non-binary, but I, I still feel like I have the right to have an opinion on, on a law. And if I think the, like a law doesn't make sense to me. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I know that kind of what I do in terms of when I'm formulating an opinion, I go directly to the people who it's affecting mm -hmm. um, and kind of see what their perspective is. Mm -hmm. um, because forever it's been male, female. And I think the, the best way of learning is asking people who are identifying as these different um, genders or non-binary uh, people um, to see what their uh, thinking and what they're um, needing. Um, so I think that discussion is good, but I think we always have to kind of go to the people it's affecting. Um, but so it's, yeah, it's hard as well. Um, you know, a lot of the representatives I see in the public for the transgender community, uh, they tend to be very strong on the left and very, you know, outspoken in their opinions. And, you know, someone who's been in this conversation is Jordan Peterson. He's a professor from U of T. He came out against some of these gender pronoun laws. He says he has many messages from trans people who agree with him. And for everyone who labels him a transphobe, there are other trans people who, like, in terms of the logistics of the pronoun debate, tend to agree with him. And, you know, I don't know exactly where I fall, but for, on the pronouns, they're saying, you know, we should have 40 plus pronouns for all of the different identities. To me, that doesn't make sense. And it doesn't logistically make sense. Who monitors this list? Um, and, you know, how do we know when there's a new one that is needed? Um, what I think is non-gendered non pronouns make more sense. Um, so, and for me to even say that, I'm worried about being labeled a transphobe. But for me, it's a linguistic argument as well. Um, Jordan Peterson's point was you can't legislate language and the language should evolve naturally over time. There are many languages that don't have any gendered pronouns. English happens to have it, but 
you know, when you look at the word you, you can mean a single person or many people. Why can't they do the same thing? Why, uh, why do we need gendered pronouns at all? And that, you know, that comes to the bigger thing of what role does gender play in society? Why do I need to know ever if someone's a male or a female, right? There's only biases that can come into that. If I'm talking about anyone in any setting, why does their gender matter? So a more natural shift to me would be that. Gender identity does kind of matter right now, especially because people are so, it is so ingrained in our, in our culture and in our society. And I, I think anyway, um, there are um, these brave men and women, trans men and women who for so long have wanted to identify as you know, um, someone who grew up as a male who identifies as a woman is so very proud and excited mm -hmm. to to come out as a woman. Yeah. Um, so taking that in, into consideration too, I think right now uh, those kind of divisions or, or um, I guess labels um, are are important because it, it kind of. Um, it uh, puts a spotlight on the the people who are kind of breaking ground. Um, I think eventually, though, what what would be so beautiful to work towards is um, a world where that doesn't really matter or hold as much weight. Um, and I think we're a lot farther from a world where that's the case than I think a lot of us really think we are. Like gender still comes into play in so much of what we do. Like it's still one of the first questions you ask when someone is pregnant. You ask. For the sex of the baby, like you want to know these things, um, and it still changes so much about how we interact with each other in ways that I think people aren't always aware of. Yeah, so the, the, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, like I'm trying to make comparisons with like the sexuality spectrum. There seems to be, you know, straight, gay, bi are the main three. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and I understand. From what, again, what Jordan Peterson has said is many people, and I don't know the stats on this, um, that most are trans and they're, they're proud to be, um, you know, the opposite gender and still associate with those two main labels. It's more of that, you know, what a lot of the argument has been about is that gray area in between. And I, I, there's many acronyms for the LGBTQ2S, and I maybe have missed some as well. Um, it just, you know, from, from, some people's point of view, it seems like a lot to, to manage. And you know, you know, that is my, if that's the only burden I have relative to what these people are going through, it's nothing, obviously. But it's, it's just about, you know, what is a practical solution as well? And so right now in Ontario, there's like this maintained list of different pronouns and different identities, but you know, what group monitors that and if there's a new identity and someone comes and says none of these fit me, if, do we add one for each individual? Do, how many people have to say they like, are a new one for it to be added in and that kind of thing. When you start to legislate something like that, it just it can get out of hand very quickly and not be manageable. Right, or, or complicated yeah. uh, seemingly. Um, I think that's where the Q comes in, in LGBTQ. To us, um, it's uh, queer. Um, I am still kind of on my journey to gender awareness and gender solidifying a gender identity. But the beautiful and comfortable thing is that I don't have to subscribe to one. 
and um, it's 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 a it's cool and exciting that there are all these different um, kind of um, names and genders coming out. But but I, I also think there's great comfort in just saying I am gender queer, mm-hmm. um, and and I think it just reiterates the fact that it's okay to not know right now, mm-hmm. and I I, th- I think that's the most important thing. I know that was the most comforting thing for me in my journey is that is that kind of element of queerness of of I don't I'm not quite sure. But, but it's not this or that. Um, so I'm glad we're having that conversation. Yeah, definitely. I think, it's, I think all of this is a very important conversation to have. Um, switching off the pronouns a bit, because I think that's been you know, quite played out in the media as well. There's, there's so many other things, um, but one that was in the national discussion in the US not too long ago was the, the bathrooms, right? And these uh, the states were passing laws around uh, trans kids not being able to go into the bathroom of their choice and things like that. Um, what comes to mind when you think of you know states trying to legislate something like that? I mean, when you talk about states trying to legislate, making people use the restroom that's associated with the sex that they were born at, as. Um, I just think of all the really brave trans people who spoke out against that law. Um, I remember seeing a picture or a few pictures that a particular trans man was taking and where he, with some women in his life, would go into women's washrooms and just right. take pictures and show just how out of place he actually looks. Yeah. Because this isn't, um, yeah. this isn't a case of, you know, sending um, a woman into a man's bathroom. It, it is men who want to be using the men's washroom because that is where they fit in. And if they use the women's washroom, they don't, like, they are very out of place. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's just, to me, it really is about, like, it really ends up keeping trans people out of public spaces in a really big way because you can't go to these places where we have these gendered washrooms because you might. Um, face discrimination in a really big way if you were to follow the law and if you don't follow the law you could get in trouble for not following the law. Yeah to me it just kind of highlighted the fact that why do we even have gendered washrooms altogether right it's this whole thing of why does society care so much about gender a lot of restaurants now in in the city have don't have gendered washrooms they have either a bunch of stalls or like you know what is the worry of males and females being in the same washroom. It just doesn't make sense to me. And a lot of the arguments they would make would be about, you know, oh, we don't want a man in the women's washroom because what if they prey on someone and that kind of thing. It's like, teach respect, first and foremost, right? Like, why, first of all, that's just a non-starter argument in general, but teach respect and we should all be able to, you know, co-mingle in any situation. Well, I think people just want to pee. Yeah. Like people just want to go, well, that's the thing. People always make that argument. It's always super ignorant people making that argument. Yeah. Or people who just, you know, are afraid or whatever. But it's like, if someone's going to be a predator and go into someone's washroom and, and be a predator, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, these people just want to go to the washroom. Yeah. And I think that's like the false conflation they've made with the LGBTQ community generally, right? When uh, homosexual men started to come out, they were, they were worried about them preying on boys, right? Like, should they even be allowed to use the public restrooms at all? It's like, no. A sexual predator is a sexual predator. It, is n- it has nothing to do with their sexuality or their gender identity, nothing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And also, assault is still illegal, right? Yep. Yeah. Assault regardless is. of <laughs> regardless of bathroom laws. Yeah. So, kind of on the same uh, vein of like this gender segregation is sports um, and the world of sports. There was a big case. Um, again, a lot of this is coming out of the states, but I feel it's the conversations that are kind of guiding what we're talking about as well. There was one about uh, a wrestler, and I don't remember which gender they were at birth, but they were wanting to compete in the opposite one, and it was a problem for people. Um, but also, I, I believe it was a born male who was competing in female sports, and they won everything outright because they were stronger, they had more testosterone, and it did give them a competitive advantage. Uh, so, like, how does that impact the world of sport? That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess it would, you just follow the same kind of, like, if someone identifies as a woman, they should be able to compete as a woman. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, what, how do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not an athlete myself, so it's not a world that I'm really involved in in any way. And um, I don't know. I just know there's a lot of different factors at play um, yeah. in terms of how like an athlete performs. For me, what the thought actually came to is I think it would be very, I think it would be incredible to see someone who was born a man who is now a woman compete with the men, right? Why can't a woman compete with the men and win and, and compete at that level? Would it not be empowering to women, cis or trans women, to see a woman compete against the men and win and be an equal and as powerful? Because, you know, unfortunately, testosterone and there are certain genetic things that do, you know, provide men with additional strength and things like that. But why not have, again, the main reason for gender segregation in sport is because of physicality, unfortunately. But if there are women who have that testosterone level from birth, why not compete in that, right? And you know, it's a simple, maybe we test testosterone levels. And if like the same way we have weight classes in wrestling, right? Because if you have a 300 pound person, regardless of gender, they're gonna have an advantage over a 150 pound person. So why not find some other way so men and women can compete against each other? Well, that would be, I mean, that's, I, that would be really interesting to look into. And I would love, love to speak to a transgender athlete mm -hmm. about that and see how they feel. Yeah. Because then you wonder, well, would you just have men and women competing against each other always? Like, mm -hmm. just base level. And, like, how would that change, um, you know, how women train and how... Like, it, is there a difference because we've been told there's this huge difference? Or is it only a difference because, you know, we train men differently than we train women? Like, I really don't know enough about it yeah. to have a real formulated opinion, but it would be something that would be interested to know how yeah. they feel. Yeah. Or even how, like, uh, female athletes get funded. Because often, like, when you look at sports, female athletes don't get the same kind of funding that male athletes do. And so they don't have the same level of training. Mm -hmm. Or they can't access it as easily. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to see if, like, if we had um, equal funding and equal support there, what the impact might be to the sport and to performance. Definitely. Do, do, any of, do any other kind of gender segregated uh, things in society come to mind for either of you? Like the bathroom and sport are the ones that have been in the national discussion recently. Um, but yeah, does anything else come up? Well, I think it kind of just like, that's like the root, really. I mean, I'm sure there are things where I've, um, I mean, just in my personal 
life. Like I remember, because I, I love theater, and I know you're an actor too, and you, um, and I, one time, um, the girls in my family, they, they wanted a girls' day, right? So they went to see the sing-along um, Sound of Music, and I was gutted yeah. because I, I, that's my favorite movie, first of all. Sound of Music is my favorite movie of all time, and I know every word, and it, it's just something that excited me, and I was like, I want to do that. And I couldn't because I was a boy, right, because they were having a girl's day in that situation. So I know just from like a very small, like private yeah. level, how that's kind of affected me, and, um, and with the bathroom things too, like my girlfriend's going into the washroom and just like wishing I could go with them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I can't really think of any, I mean, just how we interact as human beings. Like there's always that kind of dynamic, the female male, like out in clubs, out in bars. There's a very, um, I mean, gay bars excluded because <laughs> I don't have, I mean, I don't have like very much experience in straight bars, but, um, but I can imagine it has a lot of, the, the male female kind of dynamic has a lot of kind of, um, I don't know, resonates in everyday life. Yeah, I think it like again, it does come down to kind of gender overall, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just a matter of transgender, it's a matter of gender roles in society right. and what that looks like. Uh, one thing I think is interesting to talk about is kind of trying to separate the cuz there are, not every trans person decides to get surgery, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of people think, "Oh, if you're trans, you'll make that whole transition." And some people just have the identity. Um, is that in my mind, you know, that could potentially be two separate things. If one person, if I, if I believe I'm a woman, is that the same or is that different than me wanting to change my physical body? Because it's society that has told me women need to have vaginas and men need to have penises, right? And some people choose one and some people choose the other. Um, and to me, that kind of indicates that it is two separate things. Someone can be a woman and someone can want to change their physical body as well. I think that plays into how we express our gender identity as well um, and whether that expression needs to uh, manifest itself physically in our body or in just the way we dress and um, like uh, and our appearance and everything there. And I think also when you uh, look at um, when whether trans people decide to have surgery as part of their transition. Um, I think you also need to look at what kind of access people have to that um, kind of uh, thing because not everyone can simply go get surgery and transition um, in that way, whether they want to or not. And I think that's also important to keep in mind. And I think too, going along with that is It'll be interesting. It would be really interesting to see because I know that there is um, gender dysphoria where people like literally it's it's a, it's a thing where I don't know too much about it, but I know that at its essential core, someone is not in the right body. It needs to be in the right body. Now I wonder. I, I'm curious as to how um, how many trans people, um, if we lived in a society where 
gender was totally, like everyone was just totally um, open and uh, um, sensitive to that. Like I wonder how many people would actually want to go through the physical transformation um, because at this point it's, there are so many polarized, it's so polarized, polarized, right? It's like you're a woman, you have a vagina, you're a man, you have a penis, and those are the kind of boxes we have to fit into. Um, a personal thing, I fell in love with this man and I found out that he was a trans man. And, and uh, kind of early on in my knowledge of what transgender was, um, instinctively, I was kind of like, oh, like, oh, I wonder if, if that affects my, my feelings at all. And I, found, I came to find that it, it didn't affect my feelings at all. And I would really think about it. And so that was kind of a light bulb moment for me, mm-hmm. is that oh, I don't want a penis, I want a man. Like, I, I don't want to fall in love with a penis. Like, I don't, need, I don't need someone I fall in love with to have that uh, genitalia. Um, it, really, I'm like, you are a man, and I am so in love with you, and you happen to have a vagina, and, like, that is totally cool. And that was hugely eye-opening for me anyway, and kind of... Um, yeah, just opened up my mind to all those possibilities. Um, obviously, you can't speak to anyone else's experience, but uh, you've managed to accept that you're interested in a man and not necessarily one set of genitalia or another. Is there, you know, in terms of someone's own experience, would that not be a, a similar piece of self-acceptance that, like, I have the body I was born with, mm-hmm. but I am a man or I am a woman? Because I think that is, again, you know, kind of what's put forward to us by society. And the, the, you know, the, the next step that people try and, that people tend to make in terms of comparisons is this trans-ableist, uh, these trans-able people who, you know, say they feel improper in their body, they want an arm amputated, or things like that, because they feel that their identity is disabled, and they don't feel right in the body they're born with. And that, and I don't know where, I, you know, where the trans-able movement is currently, but it's, to me, it's like body modification is body modification. And uh, if someone's uncomfortable with the body they were born in, is that indicative particularly of their gender or is that a separate thing? I think it's a completely separate thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's I a completely separate thing. Um, uh, I'm sure people bring up that argument too um, a lot. Just like, well, a man marrying a man, what's next? M- marrying your dog? I'm like, well, no, because that's an animal and I'm not going to marry an animal. So <laughs> I think, yeah, it's a completely separate thing. I mean, I'm not an expert, but yeah. my instinct is that is just a wildly different thing. But uh, like for me, if, you know, if I was uncomfortable with my hand versus if I'm uncomfortable with my penis, um, you know, Sorry, when you say it's a separate thing, you like transgender and transable, yeah. or the well, well, because because lopping off your hand, or sorry, having it removed and having your penis removed, I think are two, because your hand doesn't really doesn't have any a much uh, kind of connected to it in terms of um, uh, philosophically, but I'm but when someone wants to remove their penis, I'm sure um, there's more to it. Yeah. Because because a lot of the time someone says sees a penis and they go well you're a man yeah. so that's part of our identity um, so I think it has something deeper 
um, when, when you're talking about genitalia. Um, maybe not always. Maybe someone just literally is uncomfortable with it and not having nothing to do with gender. But I think most of the time, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I completely agree. I think there's a lot more wrapped up when we're talking about our mm -hmm. genitalia and how that impact, because that's very tied into our identity in society mm -hmm. um, at this place, at the place we are in society. Everything is very tied into that. Yeah. Um, the, the reason this is, you know, a, a point I'm kind of bringing up multiple times is because I think from you know, let's say from a purely lo taxpayer logistical reason, you mentioned, you know, the access to this surgery. And I think, you know, are we going to get to a point where provincial healthcare covers this? And if someone says they want to transition, is that something that's completely covered? Um, so I think it's, you know, it's kind of the next stage of the conversation is, it, it is a public health thing one way or the other. And that's why I'm really trying to wrap my head around it, right? And um, what do you think in terms of should it be a covered, like a completely covered thing from the government? Well, my understanding is that when someone wants to transition, <clears throat> when someone wants to change their gender, there's a lot involved. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, therapy involved. There's a lot of um, psychoanalysis involved. I'm not, I don't really know the process, but, but from what I've heard and what I've read, there's, um, there are many layers to it. Someone can't just like go and say, you know, I want this surgery done, do it. I mean, I'm sure if you have the, the right amount of money, you, you could do anything. But in terms of what our country has in place, I, I, I believe that there is like a screening process or like a, a, a mental evaluation. Um, so I think people, I'm assuming that people are under the impression that, that people are just gonna willy-nilly just go and get these surgeries and why should we have to pay for them? But I think it's um, a more intricate process. I think if maybe we reveal that more and show people the process and show people these amazing people who uh, who are trans and who are going through this journey, the more we understand it on a case-to-case -case basis, I think the more likely people will be supportive of that funding. Because yeah. I, I think personally that absolutely we could pay for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was in a I was in a drama festival um, called Outfest in Kitchener actually, and there was a really interesting short play that I wasn't in, but I got to see, and part of it was a character transitioned, and for that transition scene, they had um, to, like illustrate it. They had their um, this hula hoop that was every kind of stage of the process that this character kind of had to jump through a hoop mm -hmm. to go through. And they had this like whole journey across the stage and they talked about each step. And that was really illuminating for me to see just how many steps there really are in going through that process because it's not a inexpensive or like short and quick process to go through. There's so many steps and it can take many years to actually fully complete it. And I, I'm you know, I might be getting my he ahead of myself a bit, but I've read articles about you know growing instances of trans reversal surgery as well. People trans transitioning and then deciding to transition back. You know, is that then a cost that the taxpayers would theoretically carry as well? Um, and to to what bar would we like? It's hard. Obviously, we can't determine it at this table. Um, but to what bar do we set? Um, you know. 
if someone within five years says, oh, I made a mistake, I want to untransition or detransition. Um, and I don't have any of the numbers, but it's an interesting, you know, that is where this will be going eventually if we look towards public funding. Um, so it's just something that came to mind. I've, I mean, this is like absolutely just speculating and guessing, but I feel like if the conversation's louder and if these things kind of start becoming more practiced and more normal, um, I have an instinct, I have a feeling that there might be fewer cases of regret um, um, uh, or just really by doing something more, you refine, you refine how you do it, right? Mm -hmm. So the more cases of trans people we have who feel comfortable to go through that journey in that process, I think the more we'll learn about it and the more we can maybe nip that in the butt because I think maybe people are under the impression that like this is what they have to do and they'll, then they'll be happy but then they do it and they find they're still not happy because we're not in a trans-friendly world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think just exposure will definitely help move the process along. It always has and I think it always will. So. I think that's a discussion we would probably have later on because <laughs> I don't know like where to start yeah. really. And that's um, what, yeah. Case that's, to case though, you know. Yeah. And I would think also if, like the more we as a society get comfortable talking about gender and gender identity and um, keeping that a lot more open and less restrictive to whatever gender roles we've grown up with, I think that the more comfortable each individual will likely feel living in the society. Mm -hmm. And that definitely makes a lot of sense. And in terms of just the more it's exposed, the more it can be, you know, studied and learn about the process and refine the process and everything like that. So you can provide the best support possible before the transition, after the transition as well. It's just about providing that all around support um, as well. Uh, switching, switching gears a bit, we, we made the comparison or we, the contrast with transableism. Another one that is brought up often is transracialism. So there was one, you know, one instance out of the U.S. in particular that got a lot of discussion. It was a woman, I believe, Rachel Dolezal, who was born white but identified as black, and you know, she was basically completely dismissed, saying, you know, you you're not black. You were born white. You can't identify as a different race. That doesn't make sense. But you know, the conversations were, and that's because race is a construct as well, right? Like race isn't a real thing. It's a society construct. It's a way society likes to box people up. But that's kind of the, what the discussion has been around gender as well, that gender is a construct. So why can someone identify as a different gender, but not a different race? And in particular, you know, she wanted to identify as a black person, but she didn't have that history. She didn't have that um, background and the, the things that black people have to deal with. Um, but you know, that makes me think of women's suffrage. Like women have had a lot of a harder time in this world than men. So is that like a man, you know, be, who, who, a born man who becomes a woman or is a woman, you know, they don't have that history either. You, obviously the trans community as a whole has the things they deal with, but I, I have a hard time seeing how transgender is, you know, the gender construct is fine, but the racial one isn't. Right. Well, that's tough. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not something I would ever even be able to probably scratch the surface of. Um, I think they're two wildly different things. Um, <clears throat> like in this woman's case, like, I guess what she would be changing is the color of her skin. 
but there's, <clears throat> I mean, I guess it's the same in that when a man, if a man transitioned to a woman, um, they would start experiencing this, the kind of the way society treats the woman. But there, I think there's something deeper with race. I think, um, I mean, just because she, this woman has never kind of suffered the way that people of color have suffered. And I think just changing the tone of your skin, like you're still, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard, it's, yeah. it's hard to make an opinion about because I've never suffered any sort of um, discrimination for my skin color. Um, I've been very privileged in that way, um, not by choice, but just by situation. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to approach that. Yeah, and I don't know that I can clearly articulate why either, but I do agree that they're com two completely different things, and I think that's a entirely different conversation that, to have. Um, an interesting one. It's an interesting but like, one. Totally different. But I, I, yeah, I think there's just a lot. I think what the societal implications that are wrapped up in racial issues are very different than what is wrapped up in um, gender issues. And well, I think that there is a lot of overlap. Um, and you know, like we should look at everything from kind of an intersectional perspective, but I think that it's just there's something more or something else going on with race, whether that's uh, even just the societal imbalance. Like, you know, there are roughly 50% of the world is female, 50% of the world is male. Um, kind of anywhere you go in the world, that's approximately the case. But when we're talking about race, that's not, it's not the same, you know? It, it, does, it changes, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I, I mean, this is just speculation, but I, I can imagine a, a trans a trans white woman would be treated much better than trans people of color, uh, or have an easier, a, a little bit of an easier time. I, I don't I don't know, and it would be really really lovely to kind of like ask. But at this point in time, I feel like trans people of color are um, kind of in terms of rights and in terms of how they're treated are pretty much like on the bottom of the totem pole. So I, I mean, they they. It's an interesting conversation to have, especially the, the, the topic of transgender and gender and people of color. Like, it'd be really interesting to speak to people who have had those experiences and how much, how that layer, I'm just, I'm sure adds like a whole new world of, of, of uh, challenges. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's an interesting, yeah. brought up a really interesting point. Yeah, to me, it really like, I do have, I don't live any of these experiences personally, so it is quite difficult for me to understand, you know, the, the nuances of all of them. Obviously, there, none of them are simple to deal with. And, you know, the, the fact is we, we live in a democracy and, you know, it's important for everyone to try and understand, to have empathy as well. You know, I think something that I've felt difficulty with is getting informed, right? It seems that to ask a question as a, as a cis straight male, and, and I'm white, um, is like, if I ask a question, I'm a transphobe, right? And that, that seems to be, you know, the message that I read about. Um, and, you know, the media isn't great because they portray the extreme sides, but that's how it seems to be. So I have all of these questions and all these thoughts, and it's great that we're able to talk about them, but it doesn't seem like that's the case in, in, in public. I think you might find if you um, find the... 
I guess the right communities that you wouldn't find that to be the case. Um, mm -hmm. Like I volunteered uh, through university several times at GLOW in the University of Waterloo, um, GLOW Center for uh, Sexual and Gender Diversity, and like we always worked really hard to make that place a safe space for questions and a safe space for just like learning about people. Um, and so I would personally be shocked if you went in there and asked a question and were treated poorly. Mm -hmm. Like I've said before, I think there's great, 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 great merit in asking questions. I think that's honestly the easiest way to start a discussion is to ask a question, like what you're doing now. Um, and it's, um, uh, yeah, it's just like a, a, a really um, non, um, aggressive approach um, and I mean I'm sure the way you word questions also comes into play but uh, really I don't think there's anything wrong with asking questions because then people are empowered to answer or give you their experience or their opinion but it's when you start throwing out it when you start saying um, accusations or things are like this or um, yeah, so how I always approach things is I ask questions and I always say, from my point of view, da-da-da-da-da-da, because um, that's like really all I can speak to is my experiences. But I really think there's, um, when you're asking a question, especially to these people um, in these centers specifically who like deal with a lot of answering questions and a lot of confusion, um, I think you'll find a lot of support and a lot of people willing to to let you know um, there, because like I I'm I like I'm sure don't even know like <laughs> a fraction of what these people know and what these people have experienced. So um, yeah, that's what I think. Ask questions. For me, I, I am not really involved in any of these communities, and uh, like the two of us got connected through a mutual friend. But at first, I was thinking, you know, what centers could I reach out to to try and find a panelist who would who would be more in touch with this experience and be able to talk to it, you know, or or some of it at least. And there was real concern because you know what I am very much. I am very much so plugged into the media. I've, I read a lot about it and I read a lot about what's been going on with the g gender debate and stuff. And all of the people who seem to be public facing are very much aggressive in their tone. Um, and, and they seem to have the, from what I've read and what they've said and what I've watched, it, it, like people are getting yelled down and I would be yelled down as a transphobe. And you know, in particular, it was one university that was in the spotlight and that was very much the tone I read of how they were carrying themselves and the responses they made to that situation. It felt that you know, to question anything about, the, about gender and transgenderism was to question the humanity of the people themselves. And I really, I'm 100% pro-trans rights, but you know, there are, the same way I like having an opinion on everything. And I feel like in a democracy, people are entitled to opinions. And you know, there's, a, there's an often said thing of like, it's not their job to educate me, right? And I haven't heard that personally, but that is a sentiment I've heard many times uh, and read many times. But it's, it's kind of an unfortunate thing as well because I don't think trans people should have to justify themselves in any way or any non-binary person but if they don't talk about their experiences, if they don't educate me and other people, how am I ever going to get educated properly? Right. Well, I think in a situation where um, you, were, you were going to ask questions, I think it's a smart thing to do a little bit of, um, you know, Googling some research. <clears throat> 
about you know the points surrounding what you want to bring up. Um, uh, I mean, there are people who are angry right now. There are people who whose voices aren't being heard and haven't been heard for a long time, and who are tired of having to defend the same things over and over, answer the same kind of questions. Like you see, like on on like Fox and stuff, when these people are asking questions, they're the way they're asking questions is co is condescending. It's um, yeah, but don't you think that you know it's not an actual like I would love an answer. Like it's they they ask questions with answers in mind, um, and it's almost like they're trying to throw their opinions with a question. But I think if you're if the intention of your question is to to learn and to and to actually hear the person as opposed to having your agenda, that's a good place to start. Um, I mean, I can't say that all of them are like that, but and I can't speak for anyone really, but um, that's what it seems. Um, that people just need to, especially if they want to ask questions about it, maybe just do a little research first. Watch YouTube videos of trans people telling their stories about questions that <clears throat> infuriate them or, um, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, uh, go to these places like this center with with people who are willing to to chat and be patient and um, who have heard all the questions I'm sure and all the inappropriately asked questions um, innocently probably, but but stuff that that hurts their feelings or has kind of irked them. Um, there are those people. I would love to see them kind of more in the spotlight, like really in the spotlight. Like where's the kids show teaching us about, you know, trans people and all that. I think it starts from early on and f learning. I think the biggest problem is it, it seems so difficult to educate myself, right? Like uh, I, I follow the media quite a bit and I'm not getting properly educated, right? right? And it's like, I, you know, I want to be educated so I can go out and seek those things. But the average person, honestly, the average person, it doesn't really factor into their life. Right. So unless it's presented properly to them, so that's a big problem with the media. But I honestly think it's also a problem with um, the people who are representing the trans community are just yelling and it, they're not making it so people are easily educated, right? That the, and again, a big problem is with the media itself, but it's, it's difficult to get educated on this, which I think is a problem. And you know, that's you know, going back to childhood, but even now. Um, I, 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 I like stand-up comedy, and there was a stand-up comedian who made a joke about how um, you know, transgenderism really only came on the national spotlight recently, like relatively recently, and we already feel like we can't ask questions about it. Like that's kind of the national tone is we're here and deal with it, which absolutely we have to deal with it and we should have been dealing with it before, but people take time to learn. And I just feel like uh, the national conversation isn't one that incites learning. And that is the really difficult part is I want to learn, but the average person doesn't, not out of malice, just it doesn't, unless, they know someone doesn't factor into their life, but I don't think that makes them bad. I think that makes them uneducated. So whose job is it right. to educate those people properly because they're not gonna go out and do the research themselves? Well, I think the important thing is to first, first and foremost is to, to allow people, for people's anger, allow people's frustration, 
um, and aggression, because I'm sure it has been in the spotlight only recently because because of those people who have been loud and, and aggressive and unrelenting. So we have those people to thank, those people you know, who um, kind of forged the way, and that's usually how people are. Um, and I think it's those people who, um, I guess, are making people afraid to ask questions or whatever. They're, they're kind of forging this frontier where people will just start to get used to having trans faces um, in, in public situations. I'm sure, too, that they're, they're frustrated with, um, with answering the same questions that they've answered for years. Um, and, and I think in terms of media, especially now, everything's just so polarized and every, everyone, there's no listening, there's no learning. It's just they're screaming their opinion, they're screaming their opinion. There's no like actual conversation, dialogue, and um, healing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think like, I mean, it really, it, it starts with, um, you know, because we all watch TV, we all watch our shows, just like introduce more and more, you know, gender non-binary characters. Like really, it's such a simple idea, but like, but the more and more younger generations see these people just living lives, like normal everyday lives, I feel like the less kind of like, aggressive, like, you know, people will see the trans movement because it, it, it kind of has to be, and um, it's, it's a good thing that people are angry and fighting. Um, and and I, I think, too, a little bit, some of the time when people are uh, talking about, well, there's, like, no one, uh, people are, like, you know, I don't feel comfortable asking questions. A lot of the time that's brought up as an argument, too, that kind of just, like, dismisses, well, I've tried to learn, and they're, they're just not. Like, I'm sure that there are ways of, you know, um, seeking out answers to actual questions that you actually have about the topic, but I, I just think the solution really is just to see more trans faces, to see much more, you know, just how people are living. And I think, you know, uh, the the kind of like uh, the tension will be released a little bit, and then the, it'll be more of a conversation and less of like a, well, I can't ask them anything because they're well, f you and f you, and you think you, you know, there, there. I think there will be less of that. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I completely agree, and I think part of like the reason that you see only the loud and aggressive voices in the media is because those are like the way that the media works these days. That's what's going to grab people's attention, and that's yeah. what people like kind of want to see. Like they they want to see the angry person they, as the front runner of a movement. They don't want to see the like calm, reserved, soft-spoken person who is asking questions or um, answering questions in a less interesting way. And I don't think we see enough by far. Like there, it, and I mean LGBTQ people in general, like just seeing gay representation in TV shows. Like up until recently, there there wasn't a lot of representation, and even now, um, it's, it's very minimal. And you hear people complain that it's oh, there's gay people everywhere, but but that's there's like one extra gay person. You're like. Yes. You're not that inconvenient. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. And they're a background <laughs> character too. Like they're not, yeah. it's fine. Right. Um, but I think that the reason you see the like really loud voices in the news media especially is just because that's what what the news media caters to. Um, just in general, on in any topic, we always see the kind of loud, angry 
person who's leading a movement, whether it's trans rights or I don't know, um, anti-abortion protests, like, like we see the loud, angry people. Yeah, I think the, like for me, the biggest problem is the news media has lost its, you know, any ability of nuance. And I've said nuance a few times, but I think it's so important now, especially in politics. And it seems like it's completely been lost and it's been disengaging to many people as well, because they, they'd much rather listen to people talk about an issue like this than you're yelling one thing, you're yelling the other thing, and no one changes any opinions at all. Um, but that's, that's literally what, what news is right now. Every single time I turn on CNN, every time I turn on Fox, all that. It's, it, nothing ever gets resolved, nothing ever gets understood. It's you're, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. It, that's just like all it is. Yeah, and that's really, you know, as I've been trying to get prepared for this and just generally through my consumption, because I find this a very interesting topic, um, it's very hard to find good things through the main sources. And I think that's why, you know, for gender in particular, it's been so difficult to get informed through the, through the normal means. Well, it's tough, especially even like, especially for people who are going through it. Mm-hmm. You know, I know with with uh, my journey, I was so grateful for that National Geographic issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just scratches the surface, but it it was um, something that was you can trust because it's National Geographic. It's something that's very uh, reputable and and. Um, uh, scientific and that was really really eye-opening and really reassuring so it's little steps like that that are starting to change even like even in two years I've already seen in terms of in my community and in my everyday life things are getting better and people are just acclimatizing to the idea of of gender and of that of gender kind of non-binary even my father like my my dad deacon dave like he like (laughs) i'm so grateful that he listens because we have you know we had this amazing discussion i had this i wear a pink jacket and when i went home to visit um he he i could tell he kind of was like didn't know how to feel about me wearing the pink jacket. And he was driving me back to the ghost station. Um, and he was like, hey, Jake. Uh, and I knew it was coming. Uh, maybe you shouldn't wear that jacket in Whippy. And I, was, I said, why? He's like, well, you know how people are here. And um, I just essentially was like, listen, it's a coat. You know, I'm, I've, I've lived so long trying to, trying to appease people's, you know, fears or uh, comfort, comfortability, and I've just, I'm, I'm done doing that. And how silly is it that, you know, pink is, like, what a silly thing to be upset about. And he kind of took a moment, and he was like, you know what, you're right. I've always liked pink and purple. So right there... Just having a discussion about it, I'm, I'm very, very lucky because I feel safe to have that, those discussions with my parents. Um, that moment kind of was a seed that started to grow, and now my dad is much more. Uh, for Christmas, he, they always get me a little stocking, and he got me, they always get like toothbrushes and stuff, and I got a pink and purple toothbrush from my dad, and princess stickers, because he's like, I bet he'd like this. And so thing, things change, and he asked a question. And, and I gave him an answer, and I asked him questions, and that's we started learning. And I think that's just where it all kind of c- 
comes from is just listening. And I think you bring up an interesting point, like you just touched on it, but I think it's not just important that we make sure that we have the tools to educate people about gender diversity and like gender identification and everything um, and the trans community just for people who aren't a part of that community, but also for people who are just figuring themselves out because it's a scary process, like figuring out your sexuality, figuring out um, your gender identity, all of that can be very confusing and very isolating. And um, you don't really always know where to go to find the information um, and find the tools that will help you as a person, mm -hmm. um, not just as someone outside of the community. So I think that that's a really important element of educating people is making sure we're educating people who are themselves confused and trying to figure out what's going on with them. Definitely. So recently, um, a transgender woman was elected to the House in Virginia, and it was really great, and it, it's a great milestone for trans rights. Um, but one thing I want to highlight is she didn't run on a platform of trans. She ran, and she happened to be trans, yep. right? Which I think, you know, not to say, I, I agree with everything you've said about how, like, the, the angry people who fought for the trans rights, and by no means is that fight done, um, but they, it's not all of their identity. They have other things they care about as well, I'm sure, as anyone does. Yeah. And it's about you know, starting to make that switch towards fighting for other things as well. Mm -hmm. And just knowing implicitly that that's something they unequivocally stand for. Like someone would unequivocally stand for gay rights. They stand for trans rights. But what else do they care about? And I want to start seeing them talking in politics about anything and everything because I think it'll be hard for them to get elected or to really make a difference in politics if that's the only thing they're talking about, right? And, and she was a perfect example in, and you know, I believe the situation is, you know, as it is in many cases, is not as great in the States, but people did not reject her because of her, uh, because she was trans. It really didn't seem to factor into the voters' minds, which I think is great. I think it's, oh, it's phenomenal. So, so you know, what is the balance between continuing that fight but also shifting towards, you know, knowing that it seems society generally is starting to be quite accepting and there's still a lot of work to do, but how, how do we move that forward? Well, <clears throat> I, I guess like the more time goes and the more we have those people talking about trans rights, <clears throat> the more things will happen, like people getting trans people being elected, and it's a slow process. You know, a lot of people argue that there's not racism anymore or um, uh, institutional racism because there was a black president. And they use that argument, and it's like, how could there be a racist society? They have a black president. But that it's it's definitely a step in the in a beautiful step in the right direction. But there's so much more to do, mm -hmm. and so much more to learn. But it's lovely because now, because of those loud people, you know, because of those trans women of color who threw bricks through the windows of you know of um, Stonewall, we have trans members of parliament or trans people of, 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 uh, who, are, who are leaders. So I think we're gonna start to see from there because she now can, is living in the public eye and we're gonna be able to see a trans person just being um, an elected official. And it comes back to media, right? It's just showing that they are people just like everyone yep. else and they happen to be trans. It's not uh, the be all end all. 
But the, the last thing I want to touch on is kind of this identity politics thing, right? And it seems to be, from my point of view, that it's the trans community saying that it's so important that they're trans, right? And I, if that's important to them, that's good and that's great, but you know, it really, it honestly isn't that important to me. And I don't mean to offend anyone by that, but you know, if someone, if a friend tells me they're gay or trans, I go, oh, that's nice. Like it, it doesn't affect how I view them. Um, and so I think, you know, it's not just the media uh, that's perpetuating that, it's part of the whole conversation. And it's, you know, everyone has a part to play in that conversation. I think at this point in time, um, it's, it's important for transgender people to be loud and proud. And it is important for that to be part of the identity because they fought so hard um, to have that. Um, it, eventually, um, it won't be a factor. It won't, it won't have to matter eventually. But right now, I, 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 I mean, I see great merit in someone who's trans and doesn't want to talk about the fact that they're trans. Like, that's totally fine. They just want to live their life. But I think the more loud and proud people, uh, uh, that uh, trans people we have and people who are proud to say that they are trans, um, eventually it shifts. It always shifts, you know? It just, it becomes, um, the more we're comfortable with that idea, the kind of more we refine and refine and refine what, how we look at things. But as of now in the conversation, I think it, it's important for those people to, to, to have that be, you know, a part of their identity. And I think when you're, when you like first come out in any sense, like um, there's, I think a moment where you are finally kind of embracing this part of your identity that you felt like you couldn't embrace or you, you weren't allowed to talk about for a really long time. And I think that, you know, everyone kind of goes through this like beautiful moment where they get to say, yes, like this is me, this is who I am and I'm really proud of this. And that's a really important step in, I think, self-acceptance and like loving yourself for a lot of people in the LGBTQ community. And so I think it's really important to just recognize that and um, embrace it and like let people be proud of who they are. Um, and yeah, I don't. That's don't exactly think. my experience yeah. too. It, it took so long because um, coming out as gay, you know, when I, when I came out, um, identifying as, as a man and in, uh, being attracted to other men. For so long, even after I came out, the words I'm gay felt so uncomfortable in my mouth. And it was kind of like that post-traumatic um, fear. Um, and then eventually it just became so, I, I was like, no, I am proud about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now it's just kind of not even really part of the discussion in my life, like it's just a thing about me that happens to be about me. But at one point in my life, it was very important for me to be vocal about it because it, like you said, it was, I had so long, I wasn't able to say that. And then I found this community, thank God, that I feel so comfortable with and can be myself with. And, and now after that, it's kind of like my gender journey is starting and I'm sure as time goes on, I'll be much more comfortable and much more, loud and proud when I do discover, or if I discover, you know, who, who and what I am. Well, I, I think that's a great note to end it on. And uh, like, obviously this is a very 
there's a lot going on in scratch this subject, right? We just scratch the surface. <laughs> but I think the most important thing is asking the questions and having those conversations. So I want to thank my panel for coming on. And I want to thank you for watching. Um, I'd love to hear about your experiences and your questions as well. So thank you for watching The Safe Space, and I hope to see you next time.